Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. I am excited for the one this week. It's been a few weeks off now, had a wedding and a little bit of traveling to plan for uh, my own wedding, but excited to come back here and answer some of my patron questions, talking about Dynasty strategy, some startup questions, some rookie draft questions. We got 12 in all coming to you, and we have some voice recordings from my patrons as well so they can ask the questions themselves. This is going to be a solo podcast. I'm running this J.J. Zacharyson style. Uh, Probably going to be a slightly shorter one, but, you know, I can can drag on when it's just myself as well. So hope you all enjoy. Let's get to the first question by my patron, Jay Nay. Hey, Zoltan. This is Jesse. My question for you was in regards to the rookie tight end class. I'm just curious how you think this rookie tight end class stacks up to the rookie tight end classes of recent history, uh, specifically with Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer, and Sam Laporta. I'm curious about how their draft capital and landing spots are going to affect their abilities to produce uh, short-term, mainly thinking no more than three years out. Um, I was listening to another podcaster, and he was talking about warp, and specifically how with tight ends, how we're better off holding off and maybe trading for them after year one. Um, I don't know if I agree with this, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this and whether you think with this rookie class specifically, if we're better off drafting them this year. I'm also wondering if you think if we if we should be drafting them at their at their ADP. Maybe if we draft them a little higher, um, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm curious about what you have to say about this. Um, I appreciate all you do, and appreciate all the hard work. Thank you. That's a great question here, and definitely one that's very important given the rookies in this tight end class. I know a lot of rookie drafts have already happened, but it's still a very easy time to both acquire and trade away rookies, so this is an important and very relevant question still. Um, I'll touch on this tight end class a few times in this podcast, so if this answer isn't complete, just stick around. I'm going to touch on my projections for them a little bit later, but let's start off with your first question, which was, where do these tight ends rank in terms of draft capital and production compared to previous classes? The answer is quite outstanding, honestly. So we had six tight ends this year drafted in the top two rounds, including four in the top 42 picks, and we had another three tight ends drafted in the third round. Those six tight ends drafted in the top two rounds is the most um, in the modern era, as are the nine in the first three rounds. The top, the four tight ends drafted in the top 42 is also the most in the modern era, those four being Kincaid, Laporta, Mayer, and Musgrave. And that's not even mentioning a guy like Tucker Kraft, who was drafted in the third round and potentially projects as the starting tight end in Green Bay. Um, I'll touch on uh, Kraft versus Musgrave in a little bit. Um, But not only is this draft capital very impressive, and we know a tight end draft capital is highly correlative to early fantasy production and overall fantasy value, Um, But these guys were incredible producers in college. So Dalton Kincaid, 96th percentile quantitative rating. He really only did it for about a year and a half at Utah, but put up 900 yards last year was Utah's leading receiver. Um, I've talked a lot about Kincaid on this podcast, but I think he's just a can't-miss prospect at the position. 
Michael Mayer is one of the most productive college tight ends of all time, bar none. Um, he is the most productive uh, receiver ever at uh, Notre Dame, and he's in the 91st percentile of my quantitative rankings. Uh, Laporta and Tucker Kraft were in the 81st percentile, and just to put it out there, Luke Musgrave was in the 26th percentile. But this was the only class uh, going back in my model since 2017 that has four tight ends in the 80th percentile or above. It is also the only class um, other than 2019, which brought us uh, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, and Irv Smith, that has two guys in the top uh, top 10 top 10 percentile, so 90th percentile or above. So. Very impressive class. My film analysis really backs up a lot of what the draft capital and what the quantitative grades tell me. Um, we have three potential superstar tight ends in this class, and there's a lot to like about Musgrave and Kraft. So I'm going to talk in a second about the idea of holding off on drafting tight ends, um, hoping to buy them on the low year two, and why that's such a fallacy. But for now, I do want to talk a little bit about the idea of the Tucker Craft versus Luke Musgrave situation. Um, and it's a very important one because we did have Luke Musgrave going uh, a full round above Tucker Craft. Obviously, both of them are going to the Green Bay Packers. But the difference in uh, rookie ADP and startup ADP between these players is astounding and it is a massive mistake. So if you look at startup ADP, Luke Musgrave is currently going in kind of the 13th, 14th round turn where we have Tucker Craft going way behind there um, in essentially the uh, 20th round. So there is a massive gap um, in startup ADP. If you want to look at rookie ADP, it's a similar gap. You have Luke Musgrave going at basically the 2-3 turn. He's at the 301 in my ADP. Um, and Tucker Craft is going at the 406. He's he's basically, you know, he's a UDFA in a lot of uh, dynasty leagues, especially 10-team leagues or non-tight end premium leagues. And this makes absolutely no sense to me. I, I get it. You know, Luke Musgrave went around early, but if you look at Tucker Craft, he had a far more productive college career. He's in the same percentile quantitatively as Sam Laporta, while Musgrave's in the 26th percentile. Um, Tucker Craft in college... Uh, he went to South Dakota State, and we've seen recently, you know, Trey McBride didn't have a huge rookie year. There are some concerns there, but he had a massively productive year in 2021 where he had 773 receiving yards. Tucker Craft is a decent athlete, basically scoring in the 70th percentile, 70 to 80th percentile in most of the athletic testing. He's 6'5", 255, basically the ideal size for a tight end. Um, the issue with Kraft is that, you know, he doesn't necessarily have um, the pedigree that a guy like Musgrave have, where Musgrave is that second-round pick. He is an absolutely absurd athlete. He was t uh, timed at the fastest time for tight end at the Senior Bowl in the last five years. Um, you know, he runs that 4-5-40, but Musgrave is a developmental tight end. It looked like he was breaking out this last season. You know, he before he got injured in his first two games in college last season, um, he had, I believe it was 11 catches. It was 11 catches for 169 yards and a touchdown. The issue is before that, those two games, he only had 36 catches in 18 games in his career. You know, his, his most prolific college season was 22 catches for 304 yards and a touchdown. So you're really betting on the upside with a guy like Musgrave. 
um, which is a totally fine bet, but I'd rather have Kraft a round and a half later in rookie drafts or six rounds later in startup drafts. But let's talk about the idea of tight ends getting cheaper after year one, because Musgrave might be an example of this hypothetically. You know, you could think, listen, Musgrave, he is probably not going to do a lot year one um, because he doesn't really have that uh, experience at the college level. The problem is, is that everyone knows this. No one's expecting him to do a lot year one. And I went back and looked at the historical um, ADP trends for tight ends, and there is basically no discount in year two. And for the tight ends that matter, they get far more expensive after year one, and it doesn't take a whole lot to do it. So I looked at the top 15 tight ends um, drafted in the last uh, five seasons, which is where we really have good dynasty ADP data that I trust. Um, And of those tight ends, so again, of those 15 tight ends, only two of them have gone down in value from year one to year two. And those two decreases in value were four spots and five spots. It's just not that big a deal. Meanwhile, you look at the tight ends who, after year one, were in the top 12. We got Kyle Pitts, Pat Fryermuth, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant. Obviously, those guys are more expensive than they were after their rookie season. Uh, Sorry, before their rookie season. Then you have the players who have jumped up a massive level. So these are players who were not being drafted in the top 20 tight ends um, after the rookie draft. So guys like Greg Dulcich, Isaiah Likely, Chigozia McConquo, Cole Komet, um, Dawson Knox. All of these guys a year later were being drafted in the top 20. So a guy like Greg Dulcich, he was TE 25, now he's TE 15. Uh, Aconquo, he was tight end 67, basically undrafted last season, now he is tight end 12. Cole Komet, he was tight end 25 before his rookie season, and he was tight end 14 after his rookie season. And, And Cole Komet's really a good example of this, where it doesn't take that much to get this massive lift. So Cole Komet's rookie season, he had 28 catches for 243 yards and two touchdowns. And his dynasty value went from tight end 25 to tight end 14. All it took was 240 yards. Chagosia McConquo, he was basically undrafted, as I said. Now he's tight end 12 after his rookie season. He only had 32 catches for 450 yards last year. You know, I, I like Okonkwo. Some of his underlying metrics are great. Not hating on him in, in any way, but any tight end that matters that produces at all. It, even just three, 400 yards their rookie season. I mean, Isaiah Likely is another guy who's a good example of this. Kate Otten is a guy who's a good example of this. Look at Daniel Bellinger. Um, if Darren Waller wasn't there, didn't get traded there, he'd be a top 20 tight end right now, and he was basically undrafted like a Conquo. Even a guy like Albert Okue Bunam, you know, he had that year, His going into his third season, he had done nothing, but he was being drafted as a tight end 15. So, The idea of the tight end discount after year one is a complete fallacy. Do not buy into that. So even though we have three tight ends being drafted in the top 10 of Dynasty rankings, so I'm talking about uh, Kincaid Laporta and and Michael Mayer um, are being drafted as tight end six, tight end nine, and tight end 10, respectively, um, 
those guys are not going to go down in value. Like as long as they get three, 400 yards, even if they don't, even if they get injured, it doesn't matter because they'll go into next season with that pedigree. No one's expecting rookie production from a tight end anyways. And we look at the guys who were drafted in the top 12 positional rankings in the last four years. Kyle Pitts went from third before his season to first. Pat Fryermuth went from 12th to 7th. TJ Hawkinson went from 8th to 7th. And Noah Fant went from 10th to 5th. All four of the tight ends drafted in the, t- in the top 12 of their positional rankings as a rookie were being drafted higher after their rookie season. So don't try to get cute and buy low on guys like Kincaid, Mayer, and Laporta because realistically, it is just not going to work. This might be the cheapest you're ever going to get up. I got another question here from Jesse. He asks me, with how the rookie running back class turned out, which veteran running backs would you be targeting if you're a contender looking at picking up one more running back? The way I think about this, and as I go through my dynasty diagnostics, which is you know the way that uh, for my patrons I analyze all of their teams, um, basically what it is is I have a model that has looked you know at a lot of historical uh, numbers and taken the trends of those, figures out what actually matters when putting together a dynasty team, and most importantly assesses where your dynasty teams are. When I look at that, there's a lot of teams that are, let's say, uh, you know, seventh in their league in dynasty value, third in their league in redraft value. They're at the position where in order to really be a long-term dynasty, right, in order to be second in dynasty value and second in redraft value, they would need to go uh, undergo a huge rebuild, which is not something I'd recommend if you're third in redraft value. If you're third in your league, in essentially contender value, you should try to compete now. So that's the position where I would recommend acquiring another running back. And there are three running backs, sorry, three types of running backs that um, kind of are different ranges that you might want to target. So first of all, you have the expensive superstars. So that's basically just Christian McCaffrey right now. Um, Saquon Barkley kind of falls into this range, although he's a little bit less expensive. Um, You have Austin Eckler has fallen into this range in the past, but he's kind of moved down a bit. Uh, Then you have the mid-range stars, guys who could easily have top five, top 10 seasons um, who are more in their prime. So the 25-year range, we're talking about Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Ramondre Stevenson, Uh, Nick Chubb kind of fits into this category. He kind of fits into the next one, which is the cheap vets who are over the hill. So Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, uh, James Conner. These are kind of the different levels of running back you're going to look at. So I wanted to say, for which type of team should you target each of these? If you have a team that is young, that's built around young wide receivers, let's say you got got Garrett Wilson, you got Amon Ross St. Brown, let's say you got Mark Andrews, your quarterbacks are... Justin Fields and Patrick Mahomes. You, you maybe you have a Jameer Gibbs. You have Bijan Robinson or Brees Hall. You have some young superstars, but you're, you know, maybe this is your first year that you're going to be going for the playoffs after you've been tanking for a year or two. If you're on the playoff border, it's not a bad idea to acquire someone in this third tier. So I'm talking Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, those types of guys, because. You can get those guys on the cheap. A future second-round pick might do it. You probably have acquired a lot of guys in the Sky Moore, Josh Downs range. You could move one of those guys for one of these running backs. 
because you might be ready to compete now. And if you have enough dynasty value, let's say you have the first or second most dynasty value on your team, you can afford to give up, you know, your 15th best asset, which might, which might be that Sky Moore or a future second round pick to make your team significantly better. And all you really need is one top 12 season out of one of those older past their prime running backs in order for that to be a trade that's worth it. Now, if you're a team that doesn't have all of those rookies or young players, young superstars, I wouldn't recommend trading for those old players, you know, unless you are really, really, really at the end of your age cycle. So if you're a team that's, let's say, 10th in dynasty value, but first or second, where you already have a few of these guys like Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, etc., you might as well go all in at that point, right? You probably only have one or two years left to compete. You might as well do it immediately and get those guys that are cheapest, the ones that have a higher, highest disparity between their redraft and their dynasty value, where they're going in the first or second round, maybe second or third round in redraft, and going in the 10th round in dynasty startups. The teams where I would look to acquire the middle range stars, so the Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard to the world, um, those are kind of the guys I'm targeting on a lot of teams. Um, and those are the teams where I feel like I am contending. I have, I'm kind of in the mid range, maybe of both redraft and, and dynasty rankings, but I'm just a running back away. And how I'm looking to acquire those guys is I'm probably trying to trade a wide receiver who I don't feel has superstar upside. So see if you can move off a guy like Marquise Brown or a guy like Calvin Ridley, players who, you know, they might have a great season, but those points at running back are far more valuable and they have the same age cliff. So a 28-year-old Calvin Ridley at wide receiver is similar to a 25-year-old Ramondre Stevenson or a 26-year-old Tony Pollard. So those are the types of moves I'd look to make there. In terms of acquiring Christian McCaffrey, it's really only if I have so much excess value that I'm willing to put a lot into McCaffrey, um, or if you're able to buy him cheap. Uh, He's a player who I think is still going to break fantasy this year. I think he's going to have one of those throwback Christian McCaffrey years. So I'm very high on a guy like CMC. He's a tough player to acquire. One of the ways that I'm looking to do that is let's say I'm a contending team who had traded for a different team's future first, ended up getting a guy like CJ Stroud. Maybe you look to trade a guy like CJ Stroud. Um, But again, you want to be a little safe about these types of things. In general, I'm not looking to acquire these running backs in too much mass. Um, Typically, I'm looking to acquire the next Tony Pollard, the next Ramondre Stevenson, use them for a year or two and then trade them, you know. Look at a guy like J.K. Dobbins, a guy like Cam Akers, um, players still on their rookie contracts, and then trade them when they get off their rookie contracts. Hey, Zolt. It's Noah Green here. My question for the pod is, how do you look at a team that's been winning and contending and make the tough decision that it might be time to think about a rebuild before it gets too late? What are the parameters for making that kind of decision? So I've already touched on this a little bit. Honestly, my number one uh, suggestion would be to get advice from someone else, someone without the bias of, you know, your team building, without having, without knowing where your team's been. It doesn't matter if you won the title last year. It doesn't matter if you've already been rebuilding for three years. You have to get an unbiased, fresh take at your team. Um, 
you know, obviously I am biased. I think one of the best ways is to subscribe to my Dynasty Diagnostics, um, where you can get kind of that uh, pure um, quantitative view at it as well as the qualitative look at it. Um, But realistically, if you want to do it yourself, one way that you can do it is look at some redraft rankings, you know, just some consensus rankings or someone you trust. Listen, these aren't perfect, but it's a good proxy. How many first round redraft picks do you have? If the answer is zero, you're probably not a real contender. How many second rounders do you have? Typically, you need five players in the top three rounds of redraft ranks and 10 players in the top seven rounds of redraft ranks in order to be a real contender in a dynasty league. The The bar to contend in a dynasty league is higher because every year there's three plus teams not trying to win and there are three plus teams who only have old players. So you need to know that you can't just have your average redraft team. If you look at these rankings and you have one first round pick, one second round pick, two third round picks, no fourth round picks, you're not going to contend. You're going to come in sixth place where you have a seven or 8% chance of winning the title. That's not worth it. You should rebuild. Um, Meanwhile, if you do have five guys in the top 30 of redraft ranks, you're probably going to get that bye week, which gives you a 30% chance to win the title. That's what you're going for. You also need to look at the age profile of your team. Of course, if you have a lot of players who are 25 or over running back, 27 or over at wide receiver, 34 or older at quarterback, and 28 or older at tight end, those guys are likely not improving. Um, The exception with that is that running back 25-26 is often the best season, but their value will not be improving, even if they do have, you know, that one or two good seasons left. So, Look at the age profile of your team. One thing that I like to do is just line it up. So rank the top 10 players of your team and do a weighted average of those ages. So your best player, multiply that by 10. Your second best player, multiply that by nine. Sum that all up, take a weighted average and check it out. If the weighted average age of your team is over 25, you're basically older than average. If it's younger than 25, you're younger than average. Um, There's a lot of good resources out there for how to rebuild. I've recorded a few podcasts uh, with Dynasty Dad on the Smash Accept podcast about how to rebuild. Um, The number one thing to do, of course, is to acquire your 2024 or all future uh, first round picks or really all draft picks if you've traded those away. But in general, you need to look at um, where your team stacks up in redraft rankings and what the age profile of your team looks like. Um, of course, it's important also to look at some of the other best uh, teams in your league. Another thing my diagnostics does is it power ranks the whole league based on a variety of uh, factors. So definitely make sure to look at the other teams in your league. If there are two or three powerhouses and you're in fourth or fifth and it's not really close, you might as well take a step back, try to revamp and really contend for one of those bye weeks. The next question we have also comes from Noah Green. Um, by the way, get, give Noah a follow on Twitter. He's uh, started to produce some good content as well. Um, I think it's at NoahFFGreen. Um, he asks me, what should we expect in year one from Dalton Kincaid? Obviously, I love Dalton Kincaid. I've talked a lot about why I love him so much as a prospect. He is my dynasty tight end five. I'm taking him over George Kittle, uh, Dallas Goddard, Pat Fryermuth, etc. Um, 
I'm expecting a lot year one, and there's a few ways that I think Dalton Kincaid can contribute immediately. So I do expect him to split snaps with Dawson Knox to some extent, but there is enough room for both of these players. The Bills had two tight ends on the field for 30% of their snaps last season. Uh, Quentin Morris played about 40% of the snaps for the Bills last season. I expect Dawson Knox will take over much of that Quentin Morris role, which was obviously the blocking role, um, given that Dalton Kincaid is a terrible blocker, which from a fantasy perspective, that's great. Mark Andrews, not a good blocker. He had an over 90% route participation last year. George Kittle is a great blocker. He had only a 70% route participation last year. You want them to be a bad blocker. Anyways, Dawson Knox played 60% of his snaps last season in uh, in the slaughter out wide. Um, I expect Dalton Kincaid to play most of his snaps not as an inline tight end. I expect him to be on the field for, you know, 60% of the snaps, maybe 70% of the snaps, and most of the passing snaps. And most importantly, I think he is now the number one weapon for the Bills in the red zone. Last year, Buffalo did not have a good red zone offense. Stephon Diggs was basically the only option inside the 10-yard line. Only one player on the Bills had more than five targets inside the 10-yard line. That was Stephon Diggs, who only caught five of his 12 targets, which is not very good. Um, Again, not his fault. Everyone knows he's the only target within that uh, 10-yard line. Uh, Gabe Davis had five targets. He only caught one of them. So they need a red zone weapon. I I know they love to run the ball with Josh Allen, adding Damian Harris there really helps their running game as well. But Dalton Kincaid will be an absolute monster in the red zone because his hands are incredible. Um, He is really good at body control, especially on the sideline. Um, He's really good at spinning in the air, getting his feet down, Um, really good in the middle of the field. Kincaid is going to have six to eight touchdowns, the same number that Knox has had for the last few years. I expect him to add about, you know, 550 to 750 yards to that. Um, And he's going to be a top 10 tight end this season. So if he's a top tight end as a rookie, he's going to be a top five tight end in dynasty rankings next season, as he already is for me. Um, And I expect him to have one of the, you know, six or seven best rookie seasons for a tight end. Um, everything is lining up for him. Uh, there's already some positive news out of, uh, out of the OTAs, um, and he's playing with Josh Allen. So just a great situation for Kincaid. I expect him to be usable um, as a rookie tight end uh, and his dynasty value to increase year one to two. This next question comes to me from Flair Spion. Um, he asks, I've always wondered this for rookie drafts. Are there guys who you tab as year two buy targets before the draft, thereby making you less likely to take them at the draft? He says, I know that's a risky proposition, but I think it might be possible to take advantage of people getting impatient or scared, for instance, with rookie quarterbacks and tight ends. So basically he's saying, are there guys you're not drafting in rookie drafts hoping to get them cheaper year two? This strategy hypothetically makes sense. It's the right way to think about things. It's the way you want to think about Dynasty. However, this is almost impossible to identify. And honestly, it ends up being bad process. So uh, I can walk you through it. It's way easier, first of all, to predict which rookies will gain value and draft those guys instead. So rather than not drafting a guy who might lose value, you want to draft the guys who will gain value. So I'm talking about you know, all right, two Titans that come to mind. 
we got Will Levis, and we got Tajay Spears. So Will Levis almost automatically next offseason is going to have higher value because, you know, 33rd pick in the draft, Ryan Tannehill is a almost uh, automatic cut cut guy next offseason. And there's going to be a window from January to April, end of April when the draft happens, that Will Levis will be the presumed starter. So at a minimum, his value is going to stay the same. Um, even more likely, it's going to increase, especially if he plays a little bit this year. Tajay Spears, another guy similar to that. Derrick Henry is a cutter trade candidate next offseason. You can get Tajay Spears in the early third round right now. And just out of hype, you're going to be able to move him for a mid-second next offseason. The other issue with trying to not draft players who you think might go down in value. I mean, again, it's a good idea. You don't want to draft guys who you think will go down in value. But the idea shouldn't be to buy them year two because you should be fading them in year two anyways. There's been a lot of good research about face planters, for instance, um, where you know players who have gone down 10 or more spots after year one um, typically don't rebound. Um, in general, you don't want to be investing in rookies, sorry, in year two players who are less valuable than they were their rookie season. Because if you don't have a good rookie season, or if the dynasty community doesn't see good potential for you, usually that's spot on. So there are some exceptions, but since 2015, 78% of rookies drafted in the top 24 of rookie drafts have increased in dynasty value from year one to two. Even more importantly, 71% of the players who decreased at least 10 spots in startup ADP from year one to two, decreased again from year two to three, and a further 68% of them never reached their rookie value. So you, in general, don't want to be investing in guys who decrease a significant amount from year one to two. Again, there are not that many players that this happens. So it's smart to take the guys who you think will increase and not decrease in value. So in a way, you're already fading these players. Um, I've already talked about the tight end myth. You did bring up the tight end and quarterback idea. Um, I've already touched on why tight ends actually do not decrease in value from year one to two. So again, this is a good, good idea, but in practice, it's not really applicable. The next question comes to me from Big Rye 22. He asks, is getting a positional advantage something you recommend in dynasty leagues? For, exa- for example, I'm in a 14-team 1QB league. Solid running backs are hard to come by. I know you want to build around young stud wide receivers, but I feel like having three stud running backs can separate you from the rest of your league mates. Kind of same thought for stud tight ends as well. So in general, first of all, great question. In general, I do not care about positions nearly as much as other people, um, except when looking at value over replacement players. So you mentioned tight ends at the end. I'm actually going to start there. Um, It's a great idea to soak up a few of the elite tight ends. Um, However, you do lose some of the value of having an elite tight end if you have more than one of them. The whole point of having a tight end who's going to put up 15 points a game is that the replacement level only puts up nine points a game. So you're getting that extra six points a week from your elite tight end. The problem is if you have a second one, let's say you have TJ Hawkinson um, and Kyle Pitts, and both those guys put up 14 points a game. At the tight end position, one of them is getting five points a game more than replacement. But at the flex spot, 
a guy like Jacoby Myers is getting 11 or 12 points a game. So your tight end is only getting two or three more value over the replacement flex player while they're getting five to six points more than the value over replacement tight end. So you do lose a little bit of that increase in value. What helps is you take away one of the stud tight ends from another team, but it's really not worth it. It's not good arbitrage trying to hurt one team if it doesn't help you. Um, the way that this can be evened out a little bit is if you're in a tight end premium league where tight ends become more valuable versus flex players and that value over replacement flex gets a little bit closer. Um, moving on to some of the other positions. Look, I like building around young wide receivers like everyone else, but there is a huge value to some of the young running backs nowadays, um, mostly because there is just not a lot of them. So if you can start a draft by getting, let's say, you know, Brees Hall round two, Jameer Gibbs round three, Travis Etienne round four, uh, J.K. Dobbins round seven. These guys are guys I'm happy to build around. And I'm totally okay stacking up three or four running backs because even though their dynasty value is a little bit fragile, they're they're probably going to put up more points than most equivalent wide receivers. So I'm okay going that route. Just know that you should be stacking your team with a few more um, safer, higher upside longevity type players. So if I draft, let's say, Dak Prescott as my QB1, I might not want to load up on running backs. If I draft a guy like, you know, Patrick Mahomes or Trevor Lawrence, who are going to be around for a long time, it might change my thinking just a little bit. The next question comes to me from Rough Alex. He asks me, how do you maximize value with dying assets? For example, I inherited a terrible team centered on Derrick Henry and Keenan Allen. Everyone is keen on their age cliff and not willing to give up firsts for them. Um, Very good question. This applies to whether you inherit an orphan team. By the way, people who take over these available teams, major props to you. It's really how the dynasty community continues to exist with so many uh, people leaving leagues. so this, uh, this applies to orphan teams or just a team that you have that might be hitting that age cliff that you need to rebuild. So the strategy that I would try, number one, see if you can combine them together for a first. One thing I'd like to do is try to target a team's maybe 2025 first. If I look at a team with a fragile build, so again, going back to my diagnostics, maybe they're second and third in the redraft rankings, so they're a contender, but they're 10th in dynasty rankings with an average age of 27 or 28. So this is an older team. They probably only have one or two years left. Go try to get their 2025 first because these guys like Derek, for the same reason you're trading these guys now, it's because their value could drop off a cliff. Maybe you can take advantage of that. So combining a guy like Derek Henry and Keenan Allen together, maybe you can get that first round pick. The other thing that you can do is try to break them down to players worth a little bit less than a first and get something on top. So maybe try moving Derek Henry for Devon Atchain in a second. Uh, try moving Keenan Allen for... Mingo or Josh Downs in a second. Or try to combine the two, and if you can't get a first-round pick, because a lot of people don't give those up, try to get one higher-level asset. Like, maybe this team was contending last year. They want Derrick Henry to put him over the top. So they had the 108. They took Jordan Addison. Or maybe they have a guy on their team like, like Jerry Judy. 
go trade Derrick Henry and Keenan Allen together to get a Jordan Addison or Judy. And then if you want, you can just flip them for a future first. So there, there are various ways to go about it. You just have to be creative about tearing up and tearing down if the one-for-one one trade doesn't work. Um, the last suggestion here, especially for a guy, Keenan Allen might be a little bit above this range, but he kind of fits into it. But even a guy like... Uh, like a Tyler Lockett or an Adam Thielen, a player in that almost late second, third round uh, draft pick range, try to include them in a trade with, in a much larger trade where you're adding a little bit of value to upgrade somewhere. You're kind of sneaking them in there to provide some hypothetical value, even though on their own, they have no no actual one-on-one trade value. This next question comes to me from Dane Badoche, another great patron and great follow on Twitter. Uh, he sent me in this question, so check it out. Hey Zoltan, question for you. When taking over an orphan and it's rebuilding, how far do you strip that team of assets and how many picks are too many picks? An example being 40% of the 2023 rookie draft. So another good question I get people asking me a lot. Um, The answer is you can never have too many picks. Owning picks is awesome because it is the only guaranteed way to increase your overall team value. Picks will increase in value from year T to year T plus one every single time. Additionally, by by trading players for picks, you increase your open roster spots and you can begin that roster churn. You can pick up a backup running back or a backup quarterback, wait for the starter to get hurt, flip that player for a future second or third rounder, rinse and repeat. Just keep doing that process. Now, you might get to a point where, let's say you have a 30-person roster, you have 28 guys on your team, and you have 15 draft picks. You need to cut 13 players. Not exactly, because once you get to the draft— You can use those picks to move around the tiers within the draft. You can combine picks to get players. It really doesn't matter because picks are the most liquid, fluid currency that everyone wants, um, regardless of where they are in the process. So they're very safe. They have the highest return. They're the most liquid asset. Invest in picks every single time. This next question comes to me from uh, Ket Barger. He asks, how much do you care about roster positions in a startup? Um, I do not care when it comes to building my teams. I have left startups, let's say I've left the 15th round of a startup with six quarterbacks, one running back, two wide receivers, and five tight ends. I mean, maybe not that extreme, and I usually want more wide receivers than that, but you get the point. It really doesn't matter. Um, I'm going for value in startups because I know I am a serial trader. I know I can get good trades done. At minimum, I can get a value neutral trade done. So if I have, let's say I take uh, Trevor Lawrence round one, Kyler Murray round three, Dak Press, sorry, Kyler Murray round two, Dak Prescott falls to round three. If Geno Smith falls to round eight, I'm still taking him there because I know I can trade him for a 24 first or I can trade him for a wide receiver who was taken in the fifth or sixth round like a Jerry Judy, um, because I know people are going to need quarterbacks. So I'm not really worried about roster positions. What I am considering in startups is what are other people prioritizing? What people prioritize in a startup is different than what they prioritize once the league starts. 
but when I'm looking for if a player might fall to me, so for instance, I like Mark Andrews a lot. I am happy taking Mark Andrews in the early third. However, if I know that Kyle Pitts is still on the board in the early third, I'm not going to take Mark Andrews there, right? I'm going to I'm going to trust that he'll fall to the late third and I can trade up there and get him. Um, same idea goes for running backs. A lot of times running backs have been falling lately. Um, a lot of times quarterbacks have been going way too early. So I'm not going to take a guy like Jonathan Taylor over Dak Prescott if 15, if 12 quarterbacks have gone off the board in the first 15 picks, because I know I'm not going to have a chance at another quarterback. Um, but in general, I am relatively positional agnostic. Um, it's really just when it comes to within the tiers or when I'm trading up or down. All right, this next question I really like. Um, it's an important one. Uh, from Castle Kings 12, he asks me, what are my favorite late round rookie and startup picks? Um, it's a similar theory for both, so I can kind of answer them in the same uh, question. Just to give you an idea, uh, first round picks are usually going between rounds two and six. Second round rookie picks are usually going between rounds seven and 11 or 12. Um, sometimes uh, maybe 11 and maybe seven and 13 in this year's startup uh, drafts. Third round picks are going in rounds 14 to 18. And fourth round picks are going after there. So I'm talking about guys who are third or fourth round picks in rookie drafts and 14th or later round picks in startup drafts. The idea here is you want to target upside. You want to find players who you could potentially flip for a future second um, after one good season or one good week, honestly. So some of my favorite targets in rookie drafts are my favorite targets in startup drafts as well. Um, Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft, I've already touched on. Both of them are interesting to me. Zach Evans and Chase Brown are in similar situations where they're playing behind a running back who might not be that good on an offense that has been known to give to ride the hot hand in the past. Um, those are players that I think could increase substantially in value with an injury or just a changing of the guard. Um, Eric Gray is a guy I think who's being slept on a lot. He has that third down um, skill set. Uh, sorry, three down skill set. And there is no one good above him. Um, it's, you know, Matt Breida um, as the backup in New York. So he could win that backup job. Saquon Barkley has had injury issues in the past. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson is a guy I've been targeting a lot in the fourth round of rookie drafts or the 21st round of startup drafts. Um, we know Deshaun Watson has had some issues in the past. They have a lot of good weapons out there. In Cleveland, I really liked DTR's tape. He's a potential Konami uh, type of quarterback. Um, Sean Tucker, another guy similar to the Zach Evans situation. Dwayne McBride with the Dalvin Cook uh, imminent cut, similar situation. And Puka Nakua, uh, he's the only guy here who's not, who is a wide receiver. In general, these wide receivers don't hit because when they do hit, it's only for six, 700 yards and who really cares about that? But Nakua is basically free. I liked his tape um, and he has a wide open you know, route to that second position um, in LA. Some of my favorites in startup drafts, other than the rookies I mentioned, um, again, for similar reasons, we have backup running backs. Jalen Warren, Zamir White, Keontae Ingram, and Malik Davis. All of these players, um, actually, not all of these players. I like Jalen Warren, Keontae Ingram, and Malik Davis a lot on tape. Zamir White, I don't like on tape, 
But regardless, all of these guys have clear routes to the number two role in an offense that gives a lot to their bell cow. Um, it is possible that they could take over that starting job due to injury. Um, guys like Jalen Warren and Malik Davis also have potential standalone value, and they're going, you know, in the 17th to 21st round, they're going way too late. Uh, a few other guys um, at quarterback, I love taking Gardner Minshew late in drafts. Wide receivers, uh, Justin Ross and Tyquan Thornton are kind of post-hype sleepers who could easily rebound in value. Uh, Rashid Shahid had some incredible yards per route run numbers last year and could be the wide receiver three. It looks like he is right now on that offense. Um, and Jelani Woods is the last guy I wanted to mention. He's going way too late, um, especially in a tight end premium league. Going in the you know late teens is just too late for a guy with as much talent as Jelani Woods, who had as good of a rookie season um, from a raw production perspective, as a guy like Aconquo, yet is going, you know, 10 rounds after him. Um, but yeah, those are the guys I would target uh, in the late range of those drafts. Um, after round 23, there's basically no one. Just auto-pick. I mean, don't just auto-pick. Take, take your favorite backup running back or quarterback, but it's you're not going to get anyone good. All right, y'all. We got three questions left. This one comes to me from Soma asking for leagues where you're not a contender should you send two or three players and I'm going to say assets in order to get one player back let's say I have three guys who can each get me a 24 second if I trade them separately however I could also trade all three of them together to get a great running back like Ramondre Stevenson or let's say Tony Pollard so when it comes to roster building for non-contender teams do you prefer targeting picks do you trade players combined for big names? Do you trade for running backs knowing you probably won't compete? My answer here is it's all about value. So in general, I want a player who has the maximum amount of potential return and the highest upside of potential return. So I would at any point in time trade two 24 seconds for a 24 first. So if I can trade two players who each are worth a 24 second, get a guy like Ramondre Stevenson, and then I could easily flip him. I'm okay trading for a running back right now because a running back whose value is safe until September 1st. A guy like Tony Pollard and Ramondre Stevenson, their value isn't 100% safe. Ezekiel Elliott's out there. Leonard Fournette's out there. Kareem Hunt's out there. Realistically, I don't think those three players would impact uh, Pollard or Ramondre, but others might, so it could impact their value. But I'm okay combining those assets because if I can't combine, let's say, uh, Keenan Allen and Tyler Lockett and get a first-round pick, I'm okay combining the two of those guys, getting a Ramondre Stevenson and then trading him for a first-round pick. Um, it's a good way to go about things. Uh, like I said earlier, it's a good way to create extra roster spots. Um, but in general, I don't want to be uh, holding on to those running backs in leagues where I'm not competing uh, with the intent to keep them. I'm trying to flip them as soon as possible. Um, basically make it, you know, not not a three-way deal, but it's essentially a two-way deal and then immediately flip them in another two-way deal. TSE1231 asks me a very good question. Um, it's actually a question that I'm going to be addressing uh, in long form for my patrons, either via an article or in my startup guide. Um, but he asks me, uh, what rebuilding targets uh, do you have, maybe three or four guys per position that you'd have your eyes on if you're tearing things up? 
Um, basically, what I've said before, you want to invest in draft picks. Draft picks can't get hurt. Draft picks can't get suspended. They can't go to jail. They can't get traded. But that being said, there's a lot of players who follow a similar logic as draft picks where their value is very likely to increase because they are not providing current day production. So follow a similar logic where you want to acquire the players who are hurt, suspended, or in a bad situation, or just generally frowned upon by the dynasty community for stupid reasons. So let's start at the quarterback position. One stupid reason, probably the stupidest, is that this guy plays Call of Duty. So um, I'll just, I'm just, I'm not going to go through why each of these guys are buys. I think you'll be able to figure it out. But I got Kyler Murray, who's currently the QB 12. Trey Lance is the QB 18. Will Levis is the QB 26. Desmond Ritter is QB 26. Uh, sorry, QB 27. And Zach Wilson is the QB 38. Uh, Bailey Zappi is also, by the way, a late round startup pick that I'm interested in. He is QB 43. At running back, I don't really want many running backs if I'm looking at ripping it up. It's the easiest position to fade. You can easily vacate points at this position, end up with the lowest potential points, and go get Caleb Williams or Marvin Harrison with your first round pick next season. That being said, you want to target the injured guys, and there aren't a lot right now because it's the offseason, but wait until mid-October. You want to trade for the players who are out for the season. You are going to get that bounce back. So in the past, J.K. Dobbins, uh, Cam Akers, uh, Travis Etienne, players like that uh, who you knew would improve. Some of the targets I have right now, um, by the way, high upside backups are the other ones that I'm targeting. So Kenneth Walker, RB9, Javante Williams, RB15, Zach Charbonnet, RB27, Achain, 28, Spears, 41, Tank Bigsby, 42, Zamir White, 68, Keontae Ingram, 74, Malik Davis, RB83, and Hassan Haskins, RB86 are all guys that I'm targeting if I'm tearing things up. Um, Wide receiver, you don't want to target guys who don't have high upside. So to say that in a better way, you only want to target guys who have very high upside. Get rid of the guys like Jacoby Myers, right? There's no way he is ever a top 12 wide receiver. So he's not a guy that I want on a rebuild. You're never going to be able to get a first round pick for him. Instead, you want to target players with bad quarterbacks whose situations are bound to improve as well as guys with massive upsides. So some of my targets, Drake London, wide receiver 14, Christian Watson, wide receiver 18, Quentin Johnson, wide receiver 19, Mingo, 40, Elijah Moore, 48, Josh Downs, 49, Sky Moore, 55, Chase Claypool, 71, and Justin Ross at wide receiver, 95. Tight end, it is a similar situation. You want to target the incredible athletes. That is what matters most. You only want to get a tight end who could potentially have, you know, a 13-plus point-per-game season because you look at a guy like Evan Ingram, who was a top 10 tight end last season, who has pedigree, who had a thousand yard receiving season in his past, and his value has barely gone up. You can always get a guy like Evan Ingram. So this year it's Ingram, it's Schultz, it's Darren Waller for less than a first round pick. So I want to target the guys who could get more than a first round pick eventually. So I've already mentioned the rookie tight ends. I'm not going to repeat them. Those top five rookie tight ends I'm definitely looking at. Um, other than that, I want elite athletes. I want Jelani Woods as a guy I'm looking at. Um, I'm also down to get players who uh, 
have a starting role potentially for the first time this season who you might be able to flip. Guys like Jawan Johnson and Irv Smith are players who interests me. Mike Gesicki is a bit of a post-type sleeper I'm looking at. Um, but in general, I'm, I'm aiming for this uh, 2023 uh, rookie tight end class. All right, last question here. And this one's from Duke Derp. This question relates to the difference between start 8, 9, or 10 people leagues and 10, 12, 14 team leagues. For instance, his league is a 14-team league that starts 8 players. How does that compare to a 10-team league that starts 10? What adjustments should he make? What becomes more valuable? So all that really matters is the number of starters and the number of starters by position. So a 14-team league that starts 8 players starts 112 players. A 12-team league that starts 10 players starts 120 players. There's basically no difference. The only difference there would occur... Let's say that 18 eight team league starts quarterback, super flex, one running back, two wide receivers, one tight end, and one flex. In that type of league, running backs are less valuable because you only can start two of them if there's one flex and one running back position. But in general, the most important difference is the value of a replacement player. So the positions that are more shallow, like quarterback and tight end, become more valuable in deeper leagues, whether it's more teams or more starters. The most simple way to think about this is that look at the difference of quarterback value in a one quarterback league compared to a two quarterback league. Look at the difference in quarterback value in a a tight end value in a one tight end versus two tight end league. It is massive. It is more than double. So this doesn't really exist with running back and wide receiver because most leagues start at least two and most leagues have at least two flexes. And those are the players that you're going to be flexing most often. So usually you can start up to five uh, wide receivers or up to four running backs in most leagues. So it's really quarterback and tight end, particularly the top guys at tight end that become more valuable in deeper leagues because the replacement value gets lower and there are a fewer proportion of teams in your league that have either two elite quarterbacks or one elite tight end. So if I'm in a 14 team league that starts 11 guys, I would be thrilled to start my draft with, let's say, Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott, and Mark Andrews. That is an ideal start for me. I can find the wide receivers later. I am happier starting Jacoby Myers at my flex spot five, or my third flex spot, my fifth wide receiver essentially, than I would be starting uh, Desmond Ritter at quarterback with you know Chris Olave at wide receiver versus Dak Prescott. It's just a better idea to load up on those quarterbacks and tight ends in those leagues. Um, Tight ends also become more valuable in leagues where you start more flexes because more of those will be usable in a flex spot, especially in tight end premium leagues. Um, In standard leagues, tight ends are typically not valuable um, in the flex spot. All right, so those are all the questions. Uh, Hope you enjoyed this patron Q&A. As I mentioned a few times, my Patreon offers some very cool perks. I already talked about the diagnostics. Um, I've talked in the past about my rookie guide, which is, you know, I think 80 pages, um, breaking down all of the rookies, talking about my favorite ranges of the draft, how to negotiate a rookie draft, how to move up and down the board. Um, you get access to my discord, uh, you get access to my special patron only podcasts, uh, which will be starting, uh, probably next week. So a lot of fun stuff going on, um, at my Patreon, please check it out, uh, 
appreciate all you for coming back, checking out this podcast. I know it's been, you know, two weeks off. Uh, I was out traveling, so I appreciate it. Uh, a little bit of the off season, even for us dynasty folk, but excited to be coming back strong. Got some exciting things ahead. Got a few really fun guests coming up on this podcast, um, as well as my updated dynasty rankings are coming out. Um, I have my startup guide coming out, which I'm super excited for. I have put much, much time into that. So excited for that to come out as well. Thank you all for listening. Feel free to rate, subscribe, like, review, etc. all that stuff. Uh, share this podcast around to everyone. And uh, I'll be back next week uh, with more on the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. Mm-hmm.